Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. This is a show that explores individual and interpersonal dynamics, helping you become your best self while making the most of your business and the people in it. If you enjoy this episode, make sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Enjoy the show. In this episode, I'm joined by Amelia Forzak. Amelia is the founder of Pithy Wordsmithery, a Chicago-based firm that specializes in helping people write and market their books. She and her team members work with executives and entrepreneurs across a range of industries to help them build and monetize their thought leadership and grow their businesses. Over the past 10 years, Amelia has ghostwritten 10 business books, including five bestsellers. She has served as a content strategist or editor for many other successful books and bestsellers. In addition to working on book development, Amelia spearheads clients' marketing strategies, including website design, email marketing, social media, and graphic design. Amelia also manages a Forbes column on leadership strategy, where she provides ghostwriting and editing support for women business executives. As her bio indicates, Amelia is an expert on writing and publishing and really helping business leaders take their knowledge, take their experiences, organize them in a meaningful way, and then bring them to market so that they can help other people. This is kind of an interesting topic to be discussing on here, but I think so many people are learning from books. So many people have said, you know, someday I want to write a book. And I just, I have found over the years that Amelia's expertise is top notch and her perspective on storytelling and how to get your message to market uh, is really helpful if you're into that kind of thing, which I am. So I'm excited to have Amelia on. And uh, without further ado, here she is, Amelia Forzak. And we are live and I'm here with Amelia Forzak, founder of the company with the best name that I've come across, Pithy Wordsmithery. Amelia, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. This is going to be fun. As you and I have had a number of these conversations, I enjoy writing on the side as a hobby and you do it for a living. And so it'd be fun to kind of dive in and learn a little bit more about the world of publishing and ghostwriting and storytelling and all the stuff that you do. I guess just to start out, could you pitch pithy wordsmithery to us, you know, what it is that you do and, and how you do it? Yeah, we basically we help people write and market their books. So we primarily work with leaders like executives, entrepreneurs, and we focus on books that teach people how to do something. So usually that puts us in the realm of like a business book, a personal development book, but we've done some other books too, sort of like a a business book or helping with cookbooks, that kind of thing. And we help writers with all different phases of the process. So sometimes we work with people and they you know, they know they have a book in them somewhere, but they need help figuring out how to go about writing it, how to publish it. And, you know, they don't know what they don't know. So basically everything. And then sometimes people say, I wrote a book and needs a little bit of work. 
and we go from there. So about half of our business is ghostwriting and editing. And then the other half is helping authors with marketing. And what's your origin story? How did you get into that line of work? Because that's a very niche line of work. Yeah, it's funny. I always wanted to write books ever since I was a kid. I was always a big reader. I remember I used to like create my own newspapers to try to sell people when I was like in elementary school. And I was just a a big like a writing nerd, I guess. I went to journalism school and that was kind of like when all the newspapers were consolidating and it was just a really bad time to be a journalist. And so I kind of wondered if I was going into the right field. And I decided to go into marketing instead of journalism because so much of marketing is writing with content. And I worked in that field for a while. And I was managing the marketing department of a consulting firm when our CEO got approached by a literary agent. And she said that she knew a publisher was looking for an HR expert to write a book. And would he want to do it? And he was like, yeah, I would love to write a book. And we agreed that it'd be great for marketing. But he was like, I don't have time to do this. Like, Who's going to write this book? And so I had always wanted to write a book. So it seems like it was just like the perfect opportunity. And I volunteered to do it. I wrote the book and it ended up becoming a New York Times bestseller. And so I kind of really felt like, okay, this is what I want to do. I always knew I wanted to write books. How is it going to work this into my career? And I felt like in, in that way, it sort of fell into my lap. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I started my own business on the side. The CEO ended up selling that company, becoming a professional speaker. And I ended up leaving the company a few years later to start my, you know, move my business full time. And that was nine years ago. So it's been, it's been a great journey. Wonderful. That's, that is an interesting story. So had you told your boss then that that was something you were interested in and he brought it to you or was it just total serendipity that that came to be? Yeah, no, it was totally random. I don't think I'd ever mentioned that. But I don't know, you just put it out in the universe. I always said, I want to write a book, want to write a book. And yeah, it just happened. So Interesting. So you said that a lot of your clients are writing books that are trying to teach somebody something. Yeah. Why do they come to you? I mean, I guess they have something that they want to share, but like, what, what is the impetus that makes somebody want to write a book? I think a lot of people want to write books. So I hear that all the time from people. And if it's not a book that teaches people how to do something, maybe it's fiction or just, you know, I think a lot of people really enjoy writing. But when it comes to actually publishing the book, it's such a, you know, a niche field. Like, why would you know anything about it if you've never done it before? So that it's funny, like the first conversation I have with people is I was like, I don't know how this, like, sorry, I just don't know about publishing. And I'm like, of course you don't. You know, it has nothing to do with what, you know, your job or what you've done in the past. So when I talk with people, they they want to know everything, you know, like how to write the book, what to get help with, how to choose a publishing route, how to market. So there's like, you know, tons and tons of things to talk about. What is it about books that makes everybody want to write a book? Because you don't have everybody going like, oh, I want to shoot a movie or, oh, I want to write a blog post or let's like, it's a book, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I've been bit by it too. And I have written a number of things on the side for fun myself. So I've felt it. But like, what is it that makes the book the thing? That's such a good question. I don't think I've gotten that question before, actually. We all have something interesting that would help people, right? Or something that, you know, if it's not a how-to book, like maybe we've got a cool story that we think people would find interesting. And I think a lot of people like to write. 
you know, sometimes it can be frustrating, especially if you're on a deadline or you can't get the words out, but it can be very therapeutic, you know, like keeping a journal or just doing some writing for yourself. And I think people are just drawn to that. Yeah, there is something about getting a story out in the world, whether it's your story, an instructional story, or, you know, a fantasy made up story. There's something to humanity and storytelling that are tied intrinsically together. Yeah, for sure. It's also like a way to have a legacy. You know, I think people are drawn to that, especially as they, you know, advance their careers and they've got some kind of following and they have this whole like library of content from maybe things that they've done before, whether it's like, you know, they've done a lot of professional speaking or they've worked with clients and they've got, you know, workshops or consulting things that they go through, like getting all of that in one place and turning it into a bigger story is just a way to, I don't know, it's like a better format for how the content already exists a lot of times, right? You can reach more people. Yeah. So that said, every so everybody wants to write a book, but not all content should be a book. And I think we've all read, especially nonfiction, we've all read nonfiction books where we get to the second half and we're like, yep, nope, I got it. Yep. Yeah, no, still got it. Maybe this should have been a, a blog post or a series or, or something smaller. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you help clients understand the medium through which they should express whatever it is that they're trying to express? Yeah. So a book is uh, obviously like a longer piece. And there is a very like organized process that I go through with clients at the beginning to figure out if they actually have a book or if it's something else. And usually we'd start with a brain dump and we'd have them write down all of the things that could potentially be in a book. And we'd start talking about it. Like, okay, what does this look like? Which ideas go together? Could these turn into chapters? Do we have gaps? Like, I think a lot of times the gap that people have is research, like new research or interviews. So they probably have like a decent amount of content from their own job, but a book should be like an exploration process too, right? So it's okay to not have all of the information, but just being aware that your book's going to be better if you go get it. Like if you want to talk about whatever, like leadership, going and interviewing great leaders and hearing about their experiences and their stories and putting that into your book. So that's a a great way to build content. Yeah. I mean, we've all read books that are that rich, right? Where people have gone out and done all of that research, but that would be a daunting task to somebody who's never done that before too. I mean, the publishing would be one thing, but just the research to do it would be something else. It's a process, you know? I think it's a lot of times people have some of that research or that experience and they just need to tap into it. So like if you've been in your field for maybe like 10 years or something, you've probably worked with a lot of clients and seen a lot of experiences you probably have case studies in your head. Sometimes it's just pulling that stuff out. I think like the authors who are able to tap into that knowledge usually do end up being a lot more successful and having an interesting book that really helps people because people love those individual stories. Yeah. It sounds like from what you said that that initial phase is just a collection phase, just pulling all the ideas, all the stories, all the anecdotes, all the research, just pulling it all together in one place. Whereas I could imagine a lot of people are just like, no, I like conceptually, I want to just sit down and sort of go from this thing. You know, I have a starting point. I know where I want to get and what I want to say. And so let's just go. But it doesn't, 
people do want to do that. People totally <laughs> want to just sit down and start writing because it feels good. You know, that's the part that they like. And it might be the part that like drew them to have that experience in the first place. But I think like being strategic up front definitely pays off. So in addition to gathering the ideas that they have, one place I always like to start is with positioning for the book. So, so it's like, okay, if you're interested in writing a book, why are you writing it? How is it going to help your business? Like, are we doing it as like a passion project? Or is it something where you really think you can market it and it's going to go with your your different products and services? Like, does it align with another revenue stream? Like, those are the questions that you really want to get into in the beginning for books that teach people how to do something. Because it's more than just, you know, coming up with a great idea for a novel. It's like you want this book to become part of your brand and fit into your business and your other revenue streams. Yeah. I think that applies to so many large-scale projects, setting the goal up front. Mm-hmm. I mean, and even just a personal anecdote, when I started this podcast, I started working with an editor after doing some of the... Basically doing all of it myself for a number of episodes. I wanted to have a little bit of a life with my family. So I hired an editor to help me. And his first question was that. It was, you know, what's your goal for this? And I was able to articulate because I had thought about it and I was able to articulate what the goal was. And he said, good. I can't tell you how many people I talk to right now that saw Joe Rogan sign a $100 million deal with Spotify and now they want to start a podcast and become Joe Rogan. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's not, that's not my goal for this. And he's like, you know, good, that's more realistic. Now let's go attain the goal that you have and here's how we can do that. And it, it just looks, you know, different things look different based on what your goal is. Yeah, absolutely. We, we always talk about goals a lot when I first start working with authors because not everybody knows that you don't make a ton of money from selling copies of the book. Like a book can totally change your career trajectory, right? It can open doors that you didn't even know were closed. It can get you highly paid speaking engagements. It can help you bring on big clients for your business or charge more or just get more attention in general. But when it comes to like how much you're making per copy, it's really not that much. Like if you go through a traditional publisher, you might be making like a dollar or two per copy. If you self-publish, maybe a few dollars per copy. You'll always make more if you're giving the book away in person, which obviously isn't happening that much right now with like lack of live events. But in any case, you really need to sell a ton of copies to make money on on the book itself. Whereas like if the book helps you bring in a new you know, $20,000 client or $50,000 client, or you get that, you know, $20,000 speaking engagement, it pays for itself really quickly. Yeah. Well, and that is a big misconception. You know, people see the books that become the number one hit and they've got millions of copies out there. And maybe they hear what JK Rowling made, you know, with Harry Potter and they're like, oh yeah, I want to be a successful writer. And at the same time, they don't realize that most books, the vast, vast majority of books don't make hardly any money, if any at all. Right. But a lot of the books that don't don't even sell that many copies still help the author a ton by bringing in new clients. So it, it does depend on what your goals are. So when I'm meeting with a new author, we'll talk about like, okay, do we want to expand the you know suite of services or, or whatever it is? And then when we're thinking about the content for the book, it's like, okay, how do we how do we align that with you know, whatever those services are. If you want to do keynotes on this topic, like the book should align with those topics. Sure. When there's an element too, where, you know, the best way to learn something is to teach it. And so to 
have to go through an exercise of organizing all your thoughts, doing extra research, distilling down your viewpoints on different topics and your learnings on different topics. Like even if you were already an expert in XYZ field, like it's only going to make you more of an expert. You know, one, people will perceive you as an expert because you wrote the book, but two, you actually will be probably more of an expert because you went through that exercise of, of clarifying your own thoughts. Yeah, I absolutely think that's true. It really takes your career to the next level in, in a variety of ways, for sure. So what are the steps of writing and publishing a book look like? Because I think that's a big mystery for a lot of people too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the first step is not just sitting down to write. Sometimes people do that. And I, you know, maybe you'll get something that you end up using in the book and that's great. But sometimes, I mean, probably more often you don't. So I would say the outline is a great place to start. So strategy and outline. So what do you want the book to do? Making sure it's in the right genre, right, you know, right topics figuring out all the different things that could be in the book. So maybe like building a content library, figuring out like, okay, I've done a bunch of blog posts. I've done all these things. Let me just copy and paste it all into one document. Let's see what we have. See if this aligns with the direction I want to go with the book. And then from there, figuring out what that outline would be. So like your chapters and then having an outline for each chapter, I think is so helpful when you're writing. I've worked with so many different really smart people like Ivy League business school graduates, professional speakers, people who've built like multi, you know, million dollar companies. And they just struggle getting their thoughts on paper in like a coherent way that flows well, because writing is hard, especially in like a longer medium. But if you have an outline, it helps so much. Like I've spent probably more time untangling bad drafts of manuscripts than if I would have just written the whole thing from scratch sometimes. Mm. Um, And that's because those people didn't start with an outline. Yeah. It seems like, like, so in the fiction world, there's pantsers and there's outliners. And, you know, the people who sit down and outline it, the people who just sit down, go by the seat of their pants and like wing it. And I've listened to enough interviews and debates with writers, because I'm a writing nerd too, that to know that at that world seems to be split 50-50. But in the in the nonfiction world, it seems like you really got to be an outliner. I think so. I haven't really seen anybody successfully write a book without an outline. I've I've probably, I mean, over the years, I think I've interviewed like at least 350 authors on like the books they want to write or reviewed what they've worked on or talked through drafts or like, you know, edited their books or whatever. So I've worked with a lot of authors and it's like a universal problem that people have <laughs> if they yeah. don't have an outline because it's so long. Like you can probably like wing it for a blog post or an article, but that's like what 500 words, maybe 1500 words at the most. Like a book, you could be looking at like 60,000 words. So it's pretty hard not to write yourself in circles if you don't have an outline. Well, that's a good question. So you said 60,000 words. Like what is the range? of an acceptable, publishable nonfiction book? Yeah, good question. So I think it's changed a lot over the years. It used to be that the norm was like 65,000 words. And I think like 10 years ago, I was seeing that for a lot of contracts with professional publishers, they'd be maybe like 60,000 to 70,000 words. And then over the years, I think it's gotten shorter. So maybe forty to 45,000 words, something like that. And what does that translate to in pages? 
Good question. So it's really tricky to to actually know how long a book is in words just by looking at the page count because it can vary so much depending on how it's printed. So you've got the dimensions of the book, like some books are smaller than others. And then you've got different size margins, different size fonts. Some books have images, some books like have a lot of chapters and the next chapter always has like a blank page before it or something like that. These little things can add up. And so I've seen books range by a hundred pages or more just based on how it's printed. Like the exact same word count, but just the printing can change it so much. So it's hard to say, but like the past couple of books I've done have been around 40,000 words. And I think they printed out to be like 150 pages, something like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think anyone who's going to sit down and write a book, who's going to dedicate that much time, like you got to get used to thinking in words. Yeah. You know, and looking at your word counts every day and then not necessarily having a page goal, but having a word count goal. Because that's just, it seems to me that that's how the industry operates for all the reasons that you outlined. It is for sure. But I have seen like, so self-publishing is obviously on the rise. A lot more people are going that route these days. And it gives you the freedom to publish any kind of book you want. So it used to be that you'd have to get accepted and get a book deal from a publishing house. And they had kind of like strict standards on the kinds of books that they think are going to sell. So they'd say the book has to be 50,000 words. It has to be 60,000. And most like recently I've worked with authors who have put together a manuscript that's 20,000 words or 30,000 words, which, you know, years ago I would have been like, oh, that's like half a book. (laughs) You know, it's a quarter of a book. You're not done yet. But then reading the book, it works. You know, and I think that because people are so pressed for time these days and have so many more distractions, that attention spans are getting shorter and shorter, and so are books. So I think that if you are interested in self publishing and you want to do a shorter book, that could totally work. If you go through KDP, which is like Amazon's, you know, self publishing, you just need to have a hundred pages for the book to have a spine. You want the book to have a spine, so it seems like a regular book, so it's not just like stapled together, but as long as you have that, it can seem like a full-length business book. So I want to get into like the publishing, self-publishing versus more traditional publishing, but going back to the process. So the outline, sitting down to write, what does the rest of that look like as you move down the cycle of bringing that thing into the world? Yeah. So I'm sure that people have different ways of working and like different processes that work for them. You know, I do ghostwriting. And so when I work with an author, I usually tell them, here's the process that I like to work in. And then we usually do it that way. But I like to work on, you know, one or two chapters at a time and then edit the chapter. We do up to two rounds of editing per chapter and then we put it down. Because if you keep looking at it, you can keep editing it forever. Like you can keep nitpicking it and changing things around or just like reworking the same chapter. And so when I'm writing, that's like the biggest thing I'm trying to avoid. So I'll work on one chapter at a time. We'll do two rounds of editing and we'll move on. And we just like move through the book that way. And I usually recommend like six to eight months for the whole process. I think that's pretty comfortable for people who are working another job. You know, like if you have time off and you're not working right now, you could obviously do it faster. But if you're working full time or you're, you have a family or other commitments, you're not going to be able to devote tons and tons of time each week to the book. So if you're working with a, a ghostwriter or you're a pretty you know quick writer yourself, I think you could probably knock it out in six to eight months. 
And what does that look like, the actual habit of writing? Like, what are the most successful writing habits that you see with your clients versus where do people get themselves stuck? Yeah, I think that editing thing is a big deal. Another part is like writer's block is real, right? Like, how do you waste time? It's just like staring at the page and not actually putting words down, just like thinking about what you're going to write. So I always think for books, since you have so much that you need to work on, like there's no point in trying to do it in order, you know? So if you're feeling inspired to write about something and you think you can sit down and make progress on that one thing, I think you should just do it. So like really the goal is just like getting words on paper. So once you have your outline, you know what you're going to write about in each chapter. You should know like about how many words for each topic. So for example, if you've got a chapter outline, you've got five bullet points in that chapter. You might know that each bullet point is about 500 words. If you feel like you can sit down and write just on that one subtopic, that's a great way to make progress. So if you can just keep doing that, I think that that's like a really good habit for being able to finish the book. So are you promoting small, consistent progress over (laughs) large, inspired chunks of writing? In general, yeah. Because I think it's hard to find large chunks of time that don't like eat away at your like... I guess your life in general, like taking several days off is like, it's like a big impact, right? Whereas like, if you can just get into the habit of like fitting it into your regular lifestyle, I think that probably works better. Yeah. And I found too, even if I'm only writing a little bit at a time, if I can string days together, I can string, I can keep the themes in my head Mm -hmm. and I can sort of keep that flow going. But if I take a few days off, it just takes a little bit longer to get back to the thought yeah. what I was doing before. That's an excellent point. So I, I work with a lot of authors who are... They want to write a book and then they end up taking these big breaks where it's like, well, I started it five years ago. And since then, I've worked on it maybe 10 days since then. It's like, yeah, it's going to be a lot harder to pick it up where you left off because you're you know, you're starting and stopping. And it's just like almost turning into this like pain point you know, where you know you yeah. need to work on it, but you just keep putting it off. And that's not fun. (laughs) You know, like that doesn't feel good. I had heard too, I think it was Hemingway who would finish mid-sentence each day. Yeah. So that he could pick up that sentence the next day and that would like allow him to continue on. I have read that. It's kind of weird. It's kind of cool. I think he's a really weird guy. (laughs) I think that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whatever works, there's so many great tips out there for helping like get words on paper. Another one that I heard that's good is say if you're you're stuck like overanalyzing your thoughts and you're writing it and you're you can't like stop editing yourself as you're writing, you can turn the font color to the same color as the background. So just change the font white so you can't read it. And then you just keep writing and you can't go back and like judge yourself for what you just wrote. Oh, interesting. That would be really interesting. (laughs) I might have to try that. Try that, yeah. What are your favorite books about writing books? Like, are the things that you relied on as you were figuring out how to do this or that you recommend to clients for how to learn this skill? Yeah. There's a book that I used a ton for book proposals because that was something I really had to learn. It's like a specific skill set. I think it's called How to Write the Perfect book proposal, 11 that sold and why. I think that might not be exactly what it is, but I think that's pretty close. We'll find it online. 
Yeah. That helped a ton. I mean, the book came out, what, like 10 or 15 years ago, but it's pretty much like all the advice is the same as it is now. So I think that was really helpful for me understanding like what agents are looking for and what publishers are looking for if you're trying to get a book deal. In terms of like just writing in general, I think there's a book called um, The Forest for the Trees or something like that. That was pretty good. But I haven't really honestly read a ton on writing. I mean, I went to school for writing, so I'm sure I read a lot of books when I was in school. But most recently, I've been interested in learning fiction. So if anything, Mm -hmm. I've been kind of like trying to read more about how to do character development or how to do dialogue. And that's just sort of like a hobby on the side. How much different is fictional storytelling from non-fictional storytelling? So I haven't written a lot of fiction, so that makes it a little bit tricky. But I think like in either case, you want it to feel real. You know, like you want the characters to come through and you want to get lost in the story. So I think whether the story is true or false, like you want to lose yourself in it. So how do you coach your clients as they're writing? Maybe when, if you're not the complete ghostwriter and getting to do it on your own, but you're working with somebody who's doing their own writing, how do you coach them to pull more stories in? As a, you know, fiction writing, you talk about show me, don't tell me, you know, Mm -hmm. give it to me in a story, show it in the action. How do you coach your clients on that in nonfiction? Yeah. So I found that clients are either like they're at one end of the spectrum usually. Sometimes they don't have any stories and sometimes it's all stories. And there are a lot of people actually who have all stories. And I think that's great. One thing that I've coached a lot of authors on is transitioning between the stories and sort of like explaining how the story ties to the book overall. And I think sometimes that can be a little bit tricky for people because they're thinking about it in terms of like, maybe it was a blog post before, or it was something shorter. And it's like, by itself, it can live and exist in the world and be a great piece of writing. But if you just like put all of those together in a row, it doesn't really work that well. Mm -hmm. So a book that I worked with recently, I went through the whole thing and I coached her on how to transition and how to like set the scene for each story. And I think that that was something that like, once we talked about how to do it and I showed her how to do it, she was able to do most of that on her own. But it's funny. Sometimes you just don't see those things unless they're pointed out to you. How would you do that? Is it picking the broader theme of the, or either having the broader theme of the whole book or having maybe the theme of the chapter and making sure that each story reflects back on that theme and just tying those pieces together? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes people think it's obvious, but if you're the author, you're so close to the content, it's obvious to you. It won't necessarily be obvious to the reader. Yeah. Um, And you kind of just want to spell it out for people so they don't have to work too hard. You know, like people are reading a book also for pleasure. Like they want to learn something, but they also want to enjoy it. And if they have to think too hard about how things are relevant or how they tie together, it sort of takes away from that experience. So the more you can guide them through it and just like ease them through the transitions, the better the experience is for the reader. Yeah. And so I just finished a nonfiction book. It's a little morbid, but it's called On Killing. And it was written by a military veteran who wound up, I think he was a psychology professor at West Point. And he wrote this book about killing and whether... You know how humans react in mostly in combat when faced with the proposition of taking another human life. 
So the book itself was fascinating, but the point that I want to make here is the stru- it was one of the best structured books I've ever read because it did exactly what you talked about. It told all these different stories, but the stories all built on each other. And he would often tell a story to make the initial introductory point, and then he would clarify the point he was trying to make. But mm-hmm. then later, when he had a more complex idea he was trying to share, he would pull two or three of the stories he'd already told to show you how it all came together in the bigger picture. And it was just like the most masterful story, nonfiction storytelling I had seen where he was able to keep the themes throughout all of the different stories and then make them all relate to each other as they went forward. That's great. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It was... I don't know that the content's probably not of interest to to everybody, but obviously I'm doing a podcast here on people business and you know I find human psychology fascinating. So that was it was a fascinating book to read just on how uh, how people respond. That's cool. Yeah, I think um if you have a lot of stories like that, this is the kind of thing that an editor could help you with. So I think that probably a lot of people who want to write books have good content like that and they just need help putting it all together. So I think this is the kind of thing where if you're not a professional writer and this isn't your forte, get help. Because it shouldn't be like a roadblock for not being able to publish a book. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about outlining. We've talked about writing now. The next step on this, I think that's really interesting is like the proposal piece of this and how it actually moves through the publishing process. And so maybe this is taking a step back, but do you write the book first and then pitch it to somebody or do you write the proposal first and then see if you can get it picked up? Like what is what does that process look like? So, it depends on whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction. For fiction, you're supposed to have the book finished before you pitch it. But for nonfiction, you can write it after. So, you really just need to focus on the proposal if you want to go through a traditional publishing house. So, For the book proposal, you need to have an overview, which is like the idea of what the book is, the table of contents, chapter outlines, and a sample chapter. So you really only need to write one chapter to be able to pitch it. But but to your earlier point, you have to have the outline done. Right. Yeah. You need the outline. Yeah. That's how they evaluate whether or not the book's going to work. And how detailed does that outline need to be? Does that need to be your full writing outline that you're going to sit down with and flesh out or is it more just a table of contents summarizing what you're going to talk about? I've seen I've seen it vary depending on the the agent that you're going with and the format that they like, but usually I would think like a couple paragraphs is plenty for the outline for the book proposal. But it brings up an interesting point because I think that is a little bit different than the outline that you'd work with for writing. And that's because when you put it in paragraph form, you're explaining what the chapter is going to be about. In this chapter, we're going to talk about this and how these things tie together and blah, blah, blah. I always think for your own outline, it's better to have bullet points because then you can see how many ideas you have and you know exactly like, you know the order that they're going to go in, which might be different than how you'd bring it up in the paragraph. And it, it kind of, it's just better for like leaving yourself a trail of breadcrumbs later so that you know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's like I've worked with a paragraph form before where I'm like, I know I wrote this months ago. I'm like, what was I thinking? Like, how did I think I was going to start this chapter? You know, and it's like more mental work to figure that out. 
But if you do it in bullet points, it's just like, it's way easier. Yeah. Well, I could almost see that your writing outline actually becoming the book. Like I could see you just like every time you sit down, you write out the full length of whatever that bullet point is or whatever a few bullet points are. And eventually you do that down through all of your bullet points and you've got the book. Yeah, exactly. So I could see it like morphing almost, you know, from caterpillar into butterfly over time as you sit down every day and just build chunks onto it. Right. And then all you would really need is the transitions. And again, that's something that an editor can help you with because that's something that a lot of people just aren't good at in general anyway. And if you can sit down and write those small sections, almost just like a blog post for each one, it's just like more manageable, you know? So I think that it's like more likely that you're going to do it. Yeah. And as your point, it gives you pieces then that you can work with a professional with to actually mold rather than having to start from scratch and put it all together. Yeah. So it seems like the proposal process almost selects for you whether you want to go self-published or not, because you have to do that piece upfront. So if you get picked up, then you go out and you do the normal publishing route. And if you don't, then you have to decide, is this still a project worth doing or not? And if so, you're kind of stuck going the self-publishing route. Is that fair? Okay. So I'm going to disagree with you, but okay, please do. I want to say that a lot of people do have that opinion. So okay. like, a lot of people totally think that. And it, it just depends on like, if you think traditional publishing is better than self-publishing. A lot of people think that it is because like historically it was better, right? Like if you, you know, only the best books would get picked up. There were really no other options. Like, but I think publishing has changed a lot. and it's really hard to get a book deal. And so it was sort of like limiting the number of people who are able to, to publish. And I think a lot of people turned away from traditional publishing because they didn't offer as much help as they once did. Like people think, oh, if I sign with a traditional publisher, they're going to make sure the book is, is a success. They're going to get it into bookstores. People are going to see it. It's going to sell thousands of copies. The publisher is going to help me market it. Like all these things. And some of it's true, but not for all authors. Like publishers will push the biggest books and the biggest authors that they have, but they certainly don't market all their authors. And like half of, I think at least half of books these days are bought online. I think probably more now, like after the pandemic. So like getting the book into bookstores is not really as helpful as people once thought that it was. So without all these benefits that the publisher can give you, it's sort of like, so why do you need it? Right? Like the way that you get paid is different. So it's like a totally different model where like the publisher would cover the cost of editing and cover design and proofreading. And they make sure that it's done at a high level. So all those things are good, but they also, you know, you pay for it later. You get a smaller percentage of, you know, the earnings, your royalty might be like a dollar or two and you don't own the copyright to the book. So there are trade-offs with it. And I mean, a lot of publishing houses are great. Like it just, it's not the only option. So I don't want to say it's better for everyone to go with a traditional publisher because self-publishing can be really awesome. You just have to do it at the same professional level as a traditional publisher would. So you kind of need to piecemeal some of these things together. So you need to get 
a professional editor, a professional proofreader, a professional, you know, cover designer. And if you can keep that same level of quality, there's no reason why your book would be any like any lower quality in the final product than with a traditional publisher. So what are some of those pieces? Book cover designer, I think kind of speaks for itself. You know, you can get a graphic yeah. designer to build that out. But like editor, proofreader, yeah. line editor, copy editor, like what are the different pieces that somebody would need to really put it together at a high quality? Yeah. So there are a few different types of editing and they go in a certain order. So like the first kind of editing that you might need is developmental editing. And that would be if all of your content's like not in the right spot yet. So say you wrote you wrote your manuscript and then you have someone review it and they're like this part doesn't really make sense. Or have you thought about, you know, chapter three, I think should be actually behind chapter seven, or like, maybe this needs to get fleshed out, or should we cut this part here? All that's developmental editing. And so like the messier your draft, the more of that you're going to need. If your draft is already like really clean, then you would move on to copy editing. So that's the next phase. So that's pretty much when all the content is in the right spot. And you send it to someone who's just going to like tighten up the sentences. Maybe there's you know, too much stuff is in like a passive tense and you want it to be active. So they're going to make all of the sentences just like flow a little bit better. And then after that, sometimes it's combined with line editing, which is like being more specific and like also, I don't know, checking for little details like the like consistency and grammar and like punctuation and like is 40 spelled out or is 40 a numeral? Is it the same throughout the whole book? So all of that, like you need to hire someone for, you know, like you can't do that yourself. That's like where a self-published book looks like you slapped it together in your basement is if you like don't hire the person to help with that. Yeah. So that's one step of it. And then proofreading is another step. And then interior design, like interior Well, let's. What is proofreading then? What's the difference there? Yeah. So it's just checking for errors. So you're not trying to change anything at that point. You're not like improving the sentences. You're just fixing things. Human spell check, grammar yeah. check. Yeah. Yeah. And you really want to do two. You want to do a couple rounds of that. So you do proofread and then you'd put it into layout, which is where you'd work with a graphic designer who specifically does books. And they would add like the chapter title on the top right of every page or top left. And then... You know, they add the page numbers and they put in your images on the right pages. And then you do another proofread because like wacky things can happen when you put it into interior layout. Like you might be talking about an image and then it's like, wait, that image isn't even on. You can't even see the image on this page. It's on the next page. Like that needs to get moved or, you know, something like that. Okay. So long story short, there's a lot that goes into the editing process. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, like these things really aren't that complicated if you hire someone who knows what they're doing. Like all they it sounds overwhelming because you can't do it yourself and you've never done it. But these things aren't like it's like a deal breaker where you won't be able to figure it out and publish the book on your own. You just hire a professional to help you with it. Okay. Yeah. There's also um hybrids. We haven't really talked about hybrids. So indie publishers and hybrid publishers are kind of like, I guess like a mix of the two. Okay. You know? So they'd provide some of those services, like the you know copy editing, proofreading, whatever, and you do like a royalty split. So maybe they'd split it with you 50-50. 
Okay. So yeah, you get a little bit more support, mm-hmm. but also a little bit more profit on the back end. Yeah. And you'd retain ownership of it too. So let's say we've made it all the way through the process now. We've got the book it's in our hands. You said earlier that most of the the big publishing houses for a first-time author or somebody without a big audience, they're not going to give them all the resources that they'd give their bestsellers you know, or their celebrities or, or things like that. So what should an author expect to have to do or what are the best practices for getting it out into the world and building an audience for it, whether it's with a big publishing house or whether they're doing it on their own? And I guess if those two things are different, please tell us how they're different. But if they're not, if, they're, if it's kind of the same, what, what are those things? Yeah, so I think authors are always primarily responsible for their sales. It's not the publisher. If you go with a publisher or you know anyone else, it's like, if you want to sell copies as the author, that's your responsibility. So you would either need to be really focused on marketing yourself, or maybe you'd have an in-house marketing person help or hire someone. You know, there's publicists, there's PR people. It just depends on how big you want to scale it. But I think the key is starting early. So like the marketing doesn't start when the book comes out. The marketing starts way, way before that. So like ideally, this whole marketing engine should be going if you've even started to think about publishing a book. Because like, say you have a book idea, like one of the first things that you should be asking yourself is like, well, how will I get this book into people's hands? Because if you're going to spend time writing the book, you want people to actually read it. And so if you've already got like an email list with, you know, 20,000 people and they're engaged and you've got a social media platforms where, you know, a lot of different people and you post a lot, or maybe you do a lot of keynote speeches, all those things are great for building your platform and all that stuff. Like the sooner you can do it, the better, because it takes time to build it. And so if you write the book and then you launch it and then you start thinking, okay, I want to start doing speaking or I want to start being active on social, there's going to be this big lag and it just, it's, that's like not the ideal situation. Yeah. I mean, essentially it's audience building just like any other form of audience building, right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a ton of ways you can do that. I think it's just being conscious that it's something that needs to be done if you want the book to be successful. What do you say to a client who doesn't like to put themselves out there in a self-promotion way? Yeah, I've had a lot of those clients, actually. It's funny because I worked with a while back. I helped Fritz Van Passion edit his book. And he he was the CEO of Starwood Hotels and before that CEO of Coors Brewing. And he's just like not a self-promoting person. Like He's uncomfortable with it. He doesn't like it. And I totally get that, right? It feels like kind of awkward to do it. And so we, when we were doing his marketing, we, we didn't do that much stuff. We created an, an email marketing platform. We imported his contacts. He had a pretty decent sized list just from the number of people that he knew. We only sent like a handful of e-blasts. Like we really didn't send very many at all. He got a couple interviews. So he was on like, what's that show? Squawk on the street with Jim Cramer. Oh yeah. Mad Money, one of those. So he was on that. He did some interviews and he just, you know, it was sort of like a quiet launch, but it still did really well. Like he has a lot of followers on social and we'd post, you know, once or twice and people were just interested in what he was doing. And so it it worked out well. But for him, it was like, it was not about quantity or trying to get everyone's attention. He really wanted to like 
have it fit his personality, which is kind of just like more, you know, down to earth and not look at me, look at me. And so that's, we matched that with the marketing and it, you know, it was great. So I think you can make the marketing match whatever, you know, your personality is or your goals are, and you don't want it to be something where it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. I think that's good advice. So flipping, we're kind of at the end of time here. And I wanted to flip this over because I think it'd just be interesting to get your take on reading too. Because you do so much writing, like what makes a good nonfiction book? And like, what should people be paying attention to when they go to pick up a book to tell if it's like worth their time and investment? Yeah, I always look at book reviews. So I, you know, you can look on Goodreads, Amazon, like any of the book retailers, like there are so many different lists for good books. Like Publishers Weekly is kind of like the authority for book reviews, but seeing what people are saying about them. And then, you know, just breezing through the content. Like I'm a big believer. And I said before, you're like, you don't finish books. I totally don't finish books if I don't like them. So it's like, see if you like it, breeze through it, see what you can get. And like, you don't have to feel like you're committing to a, a massive tome if you don't like it. See yeah. what you get out of it. And then that's on. another weird thing about books, right? Is like so many people feel like they have to finish it if they start it. I mean, I, again, I feel that way too. But it's like, it's not, there's no contract anywhere that says that you have to finish the whole thing or that you have to read every word of it. You know, you could skim, you could jump around. There are so many different ways to read a book, especially a nonfiction book where you're trying to get certain knowledge out of it. It's like, it does not have to be front to back yeah, linearly in a certain amount of time. You know, it's funny. I feel like this is probably going to be some super weird advice, but I got this book recently from... So David Ketter wrote this book, The Startup Playbook. And it's obviously really thick. And I was trying to get like the gist of it quickly, you know, because I'm like, oh, could we work together on something? I don't know. So he's like, yeah, check out the book, read the intro. So I read the intro and it's a lot of different profiles of entrepreneurs. But I kind of just like was thinking about it almost like tarot where I'm like, the book will tell me what I need to know. I'll just flip to the right page and I will get the information that I'm like needed to have right now. And it's funny because I swear it works. Like, I mean, maybe the book is full of amazing information on every single page, but I flipped right to the, you know, something that helped me immediately. Yeah. I was like, oh, that that's a good sign for the rest of the book too, you know? Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I mean, and it should be true because if you flip a book open to any page, especially a nonfiction book, like there should be some interesting content in there that is helpful in some way. And then if it does pique your interest at all, then maybe you read, you go back and you do read that chapter. Yeah. So yeah, no, I think that's fair advice. It's weird, but yeah. And I, I think more people are actually writing books where they're meant to be like read in any order. So you don't have to read it front to back. You can just flip to what seems interesting. And so you could always look for books that are like that. And sometimes it'll say that in the description too, if that's something that you are interested in. Yeah. Do you have any tips for getting the most out of your reading? I mean, part of it is like remembering it, right? So like, I totally like will take a highlighter or a pen or, or some, or like like stickers to mark my spot in books. If you do eBooks, I know that you can just like mark it that way, but I think if you learn something, like half the battle is just remembering that you learned it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've gotten more involved with pen through every book that I read now, the nonfiction ones at least, marking stuff up. And I even took some advice of another guest I had on here who 
name was Bobby Powers and he reads like 70 or 80 books a year. And he will keep notes in the back book, you know, those blank pages in the front or back of a book. He'll keep notes and references to the page number of interesting content so that he can very quickly see what all the highlights of the book are and then reference it back when he needs them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. What are you sick of talking about when it comes to writing? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think anything, actually. No, I love talking about books. What do you think people should be talking more about when it comes to writing? Maybe just how to get it done. Because I feel like it's something that sits on a bucket list for years and years and years. And if you can actually do it, it can change your life. And it feels so good. Like to finish a book and have that, I think is life changing for people. And it's really not that hard to do it. You just have to put in the time. Yeah, it's a consistency thing. At yeah. least that's what I found. More than a I mean, it is a skill thing for sure, but you get the skill with consistency too. Yeah, it's just like time on task, you know? I mean, even with the books that I do now, like I always try to track how much time I'm spending on them. And sometimes it's a lot. Like, is it like 70 hours, 150 hours, like 200 and some hours, like depending on the length of the book? But if you just set out knowing that it's supposed to take that long and you don't get discouraged, like just keep going. I think that, you know, that's yeah. the way to do it. I remember, so I'll reference Joe Rogan again, but I heard him say this and I think he stole it from somebody else, but I heard him talk about happiness and about how in his view, there's this correlation or I guess an inverse scale of happiness, how long happiness lasts with how hard something was. And so if something like if you, the example he gave was if if you go on a roller coaster, that's fun and you're happy and you feel real good when you come off. But like an hour later, you might be still feeling okay. But like by the next morning when you wake up, you're like on to the next day. Whereas Mm -hmm. if you run a marathon, like there's all this grueling training you have to do leading up to it. And it's really, really hard. And you do this hard thing but that happiness could stay with you for the rest of your life because now you're a marathoner and you've done that. You can always talk about it and go back to it. And I think that that applies to writing too. Like it's hard and it's long and there's all this mental stuff you have to deal with as you're sitting down to actually punch the keys or put a pen to paper. But the reward on the back end is something you keep forever. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like getting a degree, right? Like you go to college and that takes a long time, right? You like, yeah. take like years to get your degree, but are you glad you did it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? It can set you up for success in the future and it's something you're always going to be proud of and feel good about. For sure. So last question, I know we were joking about this before. <laughs> so you are, you're the founder of your own business. You help entrepreneurs, executives tell their own story. What in your experience is the purpose of business? Yeah, I'm glad I read this ahead of time because I think it's like a real whopper of a question. Like, <laughs> I was like, do you really ask this to people? It's a lot. Just about um, everybody. I think the purpose of business is to create something that's valuable. Like that's it. It's simple. Like it has to have some kind of value to people, you know? And I think the more value you can create, the better the business is going to be. I'm going to throw one more curveball at you. What's the purpose of writing? Mm, I think there are a lot of purposes. So to help other people, to share your story, to make yourself feel better, to get something off your chest, 
us to show that you're an expert in something, to explore a new topic, to give other people, you know, a voice, like sharing their interviews or their stories, to entertain people, to change industries, to change the world, to tell the truth. There are a million reasons why you'd write. Yeah. The other one that I love too is to understand what you think. Yes. It's I find so often that I'll sit down to express myself in some way and what I actually write is different than what the concept was in my head. That there's yeah. there's a clarifying piece of that too. So well, I love it. So whatever the reason, whatever your reason is to write, everybody listening, go do some more writing. I hope this has been interesting and helpful. Amelia, I always enjoy talking to you and I learn a ton and uh, appreciate all of your help and wisdom over the years. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with future guests. That's it. Thanks for coming. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.